there, and welcome to All Things Montessori, a podcast devoted to discussing aspects of the Montessori approach to child development. If you're a guide in the classroom, a parent of a Montessori child, or someone who is just trying to learn more about it, we cover it all. My name is Rachel Larson, and I'm a Montessori teacher and an administrator, and I'm joined by Jamie Rue, AMI trainer and Montessori consultant. This week's episode is all about lesson planning and everything that goes into it. Jamie and I talk through our past experiences. We talk through what worked, what didn't work. We offer tips and advice, and we just talk through this amazing process. Even though it's so tiring, it is so exciting to sit down and plan these incredible lessons. So we hope you find it enjoyable, and let's talk about lesson planning. teachers that they really struggle with lesson planning, that they they struggle to find a system that's effective and that they're comfortable with. Um, what was what do you what are your thoughts on lesson planning? Well, I agree with all of them. It's really, really hard. Um, I think it's hard because as Montessorians, you know, we follow the child. But we don't just have one child, you know. There's many children to follow. Um, And so I actually, I went through a bunch of different ways. And um, eventually, um, I found what worked out best for me. Um, But that took a lot of trial and error. Um, And it also took me sort of looking into myself and being like, okay, how do I keep track of things? And I keep track of things by making many, many lists. Like, that's just how I do it. So I was trying to do charts and Excel sheets and things that just didn't work in my brain, you know? Um, And then I finally started to make a list and it made so much more sense for me personally. Um, And that's just the way I was doing it. Um, You know, thinking about how your lesson planning is a whole other animal. Um, So I found that, you know, I don't know, you know, because I remember in training, having, you know, we had the lecture on record keeping and lesson planning, right? And I remember thinking, okay, so do I have to do exactly that? And that's what I thought, you know? (laughs) And then I started trying to lesson plan in that way. It didn't work for me. And I think that's true of a lot of teachers. Like, what do you think? Do you agree? Well, I think that you have to find the system that's going to work for you. And lesson planning in particular is very personal. Mm-hmm. You know, you, like you said, you have to find something you're actually going to do and that you're going to be able to maintain. So I think on training courses, we tend to show at least one or two different ways of doing that sort of planning to give you some ideas and some sort of core principles about the planning that you need to consider. But but then, you, you know, you really do have to find a system that's going to work work best for you that you can be consistent in. Um, because it is so important, even though, I mean, the hard part about this work is that we have to be very responsive to what children are showing us, Mm -hmm. but ultimately, I mean, we have to go in really highly planned into the classroom and then be prepared to throw the plan away and respond to the children. But the planning's necessary because if we don't plan effectively, we will not 
get out all of cosmic education to the children. It's all too easy to lose track, don't you think? It is so easy to lose track. I have personally, I've definitely lost track or not even lost track. I always had a, you know, I always had it in my head or on paper somewhere, but I think it's also really easy to kind of get in a, a routine of, you know, doing the same stuff over and over again, almost, you know, especially with younger ones, because when the six-year-olds and seven-year-olds are there, they all need the same stuff, right? They need all of the same lessons, but that does not mean that each of them is ready for that at the time that maybe you're giving it to them. And that was a lesson to me. Um, And just, I think a lot of teachers too go through that as well. Like, well, I have to give all these math lessons, so I'm just going to do a ton of math this week or, you know, and then you get in your own teacher head, but you're not even listening to what the children need. And then it's not, you're not doing cosmic education, which is what you just said. So yes, I, I think it can easily happen. And I look, I think, um, I think as teachers, it's okay to reflect and say, yeah, I didn't do good lesson planning for a week, one time or two times, you know, or three. I I think it's a thing that happens quite often. So, yep. And I think that there's just some sort of, you know, basic principles we should keep in mind when we're thinking about planning for the children. Um, you know, one is we need to think about each individual child when we're doing our planning. It's easy to let, I think, it's, I see teachers let the the list of lessons drive them rather Mm -hmm. than thinking about the individual child. Um, So one thing I really encourage teachers to do is take five minutes and think of one child and what would that child be interested in every area of the classroom? Like what could you show that child when you spend that five minutes thinking about them? Mm -hmm. I find that when you take a step back and truly do think of every single subject area, that's sort of when the magic happens because something's going to pop into your brain that if you were just sort of thinking in a curriculum way, you wouldn't have thought of that one lesson. Or, you know, I think also taking that time to just think about one child, like you're really going to get into really deep detail about what they need. And I, yeah, I think that's when you really hone in on what's going to serve them the best. And that's when you're going to probably give one of the best lessons also because the child is completely ready for it and into it because you took that time. Right. Whereas I think sometimes we fall into the practice of like, oh, well, what did I do last week? So I'll just give the next lesson in that series or, Mm -hmm. or, well, you know, they're seven. So I'll just put them with a few other seven-year-olds and all the seven-year-olds are going to get parts of an angle. Um, And when we do that, you know, what we end up doing, I mean, it feels sort of efficient, but we are forgetting about that individual child and what that child needs. And we're letting the curriculum drive us just as much as it does in a non-Montessori environment. So we have Mm -hmm. to be really conscious of thinking about those individual children. Like you said, you know, it's amazing what emerges when you allow yourself that time to really think about one child and what that child needs. It really is. It's, it's, it's astonishing. And I think too, on, um, on the same level as that, um, 
taking the time to think about one child, but also, um, and I'm sure you were going to say this too, but taking the time to observe every day or, I mean, every day for a little bit, you're going to be observing all the time, but, you know, making a point to sit in a chair and take notes and watch every week is really important because then you're really going to take a step back and see what they're doing, you know? You're a hundred percent right, Rachel. And this I think is a huge challenge for teachers, but observation is definitely going to inform your lesson planning. And what I tend to hear, and I'm sure you've thought it, I mean, we all have, I thought it in the classroom too. I just don't have time to observe, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we have to carve out at least 10 minutes a day to, you know, really objectively observe children And that will, it will provide so much for our lesson planning. Yeah. And I mean, in the training, we had those two weeks of, of, well, it was more than that. I can't even remember four weeks of observation. So during that process, even though I know it was was so long, but you become really good at observing. It does not take, it does, it really only takes five to 10 minutes, you know, for you to really be in tune with what's going on. Um, you know, another thing that I, I used in my lesson planning to some extent, I, I had to take it with a grain of salt. I used my, um, individual meetings with the children to help me as well. Um, you know, if I asked them what lessons they wanted, I would have to sort of tailor that to what (laughs) they actually needed. (laughs) Um, cause I'd have like six year olds telling me they wanted to do cube root or something. I was like, well, (laughs) maybe we should wait. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, let's work on what's gonna get you there right. right we'll get there we need all of these 50 lessons before but <laughs> <laughs> so cute no but I found that was great and then I also found that um that really helped with community and your relationship with the children too because they're gonna be all heard they're gonna be like oh they listened my teacher listened right. to me you know and that's right. that's amazing yeah, yeah. And I think when we think about individual children and what they need, then, you know, it starts to flow easily, the lesson planning. But we can also, you know, we can also like within the course of an entire year sort of say, okay, I'm going to be sure that I get out a lot of leaf lessons in the fall Mm -hmm. because we'll have plenty of leaves we can gather and we're going to, you know, we're going to get as many leaf lessons. It doesn't mean that you won't do leaf lessons in February but if you sort of give yourself a bit of an annual plan of like definitely leaves in the fall flowers in spring you know when when they're plentiful of course um, that helps you to stay sort of accountable to some of the uh, parts of cosmic education that are less skill-based and more, you know, we want to sh- be sure we're exposing them to all those keys. So I have found that sort of blocking out month by month or quarter by quarter can help uh, make sure that some of those things get out. For example, like in Seattle, I would always do work of water in January, February when it was raining because mm-hmm. there was a, you know, a park across the street on it that had a hillside that you know, had a lovely river that would form or a little stream. Oh, how, how convenient. Perfect. <laughs> that we could do. So those kinds of things help us remember so that we're trying to get the bulk of uh, the albums out every year or so. Uh, but we we have that 
general annual plan that isn't child-based but helps us stay accountable. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely does. I, d- I would do something similar. Um, again, I love making lists. I make them for everything, but I would do the same thing. Um, and they were just sort of like, uh, kind of like goals, I guess, in my head of things that I wanted to do. Um, and I did it by month also. Um, and with that, I, I took into account, you know, all the events or if we were having parents in the classroom um, and maybe things I didn't get to the year before. I remember um, one of my years of teaching, I just felt like I wasn't giving any experiment lessons. I mean, I was, but I felt that that area of the classroom just, I felt really bad that I wasn't doing as much as I wanted to be. Um, and experiments for elementary children. Oh my gosh, there's just not a more perfect thing in the world. Um, and so I remember that summer I put a lot of my energy into creating my, you know, experiment section of the classroom. Um, and that was one of my main goals for the beginning of the year. And, but it took a lot of energy and it does take a lot of energy. Um, but I think you're right to play with the seasons, play with what you want to improve on, um, and what you think the children will love. And you're right. Like, you know, botany lessons are not going to be on a, you know, standardized test or, you know, they're not going to need to know that information necessarily unless they go to school to become a botanist. However, that's what makes Montessori Montessori. And you have to have that stuff or it's not there, you know? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I think if we think about how we can sort of you know, have these ideas across the year and hold ourselves accountable. And we think about how the prepared environment can help us and what things we need to do to remind us, like what we need to put on the shelves to remind us that definitely, you know, provides us that support to to remind us of all the things that we have to offer. Absolutely. It's so easy to just get caught up in math and language land, you know. Um, I know it's so easy. It's so it's just it's actually hilarious how easy it is because it happens without you even really thinking about it. Um, And a lot of that is because parents are going to ask about those two things constantly. So, of course, your brain's going to think about that. Um, One thing that I also completely did um, that I really tried to stop. It was really hard. And I wonder I want to know your opinion on this, Jamie. I would have my lesson list and I would do it by day. I would do a whole week one and then I would print out one a day for myself. Um, but then if I didn't get to some during the day, I would kind of like roll them over to the next day. (laughs) And I found that this kind of hindered me because then I felt like I wasn't coming into the next day with like the, like a new energy, you know? Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, the thing, the hard thing about lesson planning is we need to, you know, we have to be thinking about each child, we have to have a plan, and then we have to be prepared to throw the plan away. So we tend to be very ambitious in our lesson planning, and we almost never achieve it, which is as it should be. So we shouldn't feel bad about it. Um, we right. should, you know, it's important to sort of ponder and think, well, why didn't I get to that? Was it because I was too tired after work to go get flowers and then we couldn't do the lesson? Or was it because the child showed me there was another area of interest? And so we went that direction. So we're never going to get necessarily to everything we plan, but we also need to have some sort of accountability measure in place for ourselves to be sure that 
for example, every child is getting at least one lesson a day, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's not a hard and fast rule. But, you know, it's not an unreasonable one when you consider all the lessons that we have to offer and how few days we actually have the children. So, you know, it's it's like balancing all of that and really making sure that we're covering all of cosmic education and not just math and language. And right. I mean, let's be honest, like the math materials are amazing. Of and course. They're beautiful. So and they're fun. incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but there's lots of other, you know, incredible work that we have available to the children too, even the stories that we tell and the stories that teachers write. Um, so I think, you know, I was at a, I, I did a workshop in Canada last weekend and one of the, you know, I had the, I had the participants sit and write a story in about 15 minutes and they really came up with some great stories They were super excited about researching more. And I think we have to challenge ourselves to do some of that work as part of our lesson planning as well. Like what other story could I tell? What other key lesson could I, could I make for, for the children in my class? Absolutely. Um, That's something that I, that was something I, that was hard for me because you're so, you're so tired by the end of the day. Right. <laughs> I know. Um, but I one, know. one thing I did with my good friends from training, we, um, we would share each other's stories, which was super helpful. Um, because yeah. you know, collaboration is what is going to make, you know, that's going to help anybody. And, you know, Montessori is such collaborative work anyway, um, that we had an email chain where we would share our stories, which soup, which was really helpful. So I, I encourage you listeners to reach out to your training friends or on EAA, somebody posted the other day looking for a migration story. Like everyone's here to help out. (laughs) You don't have to write them all yourself. No. And they don't have to be, I mean, they can be a paragraph long, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be, and you don't even have to write them. You could make a list of bullet points and then tell the story. Mm -hmm. But those things are, you know, part of what we have to continually add uh, to what we have to offer the children and you know those are the harder things because they're not this beautiful material on the shelf just beckoning to you Mm and the way that the math materials and geometry materials in particular are um yeah it's so true but you know I think that personal connection with the story it just that it's so special right and it kind of it's like the it's almost the heartbeat of the Montessori I don't know I think like when you when you connect on something really interesting I mean these children are just begging you to pique their interest because they're interested about everything so it's not even that hard (laughs) you can pick anything and they're going to say what um yeah. Well, and to hold myself accountable, like in history, you know, I, I looked at the state standards and where I taught, which was Washington State. And, you know, we had basically like, you know, local, national and world history that that the children needed to be exposed to. And so I would really work on those like in a three year cycle. Mm-hmm. So one year, my focus was local history. Now, that being said, if the children suddenly are interested in ancient Rome, well, of course, I'm going to give them more information about it. But to help myself stay accountable, you know, I, I made sure that I had some some areas of focus so a child had those experiences that were required by the state standards. 
That's and the history question good. charts, of course, really guide us in that story writing, especially for history. So yeah, history question charts are amazing. And I also find that they they serve many purposes in the classroom. You can use those for yeah. many different things. I had these two boys really interested in story writing. Um and their stories were um hmm, I don't know how to describe it. They <laughs> I think anyone who's worked with elementary children (laughs) understands exactly what you mean. But the history question charts helped them. It helped them sort of, you know, learn how to establish a plot, um, you know, think about different characters. Um, So that's a material that can be used in so many different ways. It's so amazing. Um, So let's talk a little bit about how to get or keep the momentum going after the first month of school with lesson planning because you know the first month of school it's you know you're doing the great stories you're doing all these intro you're probably doing some assessment with the children you're doing some you know reminders from you know all of those sorts of things so September I think is a pretty it's an easier month to plan and also it's your first one so you're really energetic so I mean Jamie how would you keep that energy up I can speak to it too but I'm interested to hear what you have to say Well, I think you have to really establish a regular pattern of planning, whether, you know, some people like to do it for a week or two weeks, or some people like to do it every few days, whatever sort of time period you choose, I, you know, really prefer weekly, then you have to stay accountable to that and and really be sure that you're doing that planning every week and you're doing that thinking And you're thinking about, you know, not only what's going to inspire the children, but what's going to inspire you. Because sometimes if you're inspired, you inspire the children. Oh, my gosh. Like the truest thing ever. (laughs) So sometimes it's what's going to get you going if you're not sure where a child's interest is. You know, I um, I tended to give lots and lots of lessons on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and that eased up on Thursdays and Fridays so that Mm -hmm. they had a little more time to work and I could get in my individual meetings Mm -hmm. uh, with the children and so and and the same you have to think about it over periods of time like you're probably not going to get a child started on cube root you know the Thursday before winter break Right. When you (laughs) know, you know, so you have to have, you can think about how you're going to really get them, you know, into work and give them lots of things to choose from, and then give them the space to do that. But Mm -hmm. some children need more lessons. So you might have to give them more to get them inspired to work. And some children, you have to sort of just kind of beg to interrupt them to keep going because they're they're so independent and capable on their own yeah um and so I think I'm sorry go ahead (laughs) I think I think a system really helps you keep your momentum going because you've got it in place whether you're exhausted or not you know so that's Mm -hmm. one thing and then and then doing things that are going to inspire you so remembering to take part in you know, free teacher preview nights at at museums and theaters and things like that, or doing some other, you know, educational programming for yourself so that you have more to share with the children. Yes. If you don't do that, I mean, children, they're so wonderful, but they're, they just, they'll take all your energy and that along with that goes your inspiration. Cause you know, then you just sort of get in this whirlwind where you're just exhausted. Um, I was going to touch on what you said too, Jamie. I, 
I did weekly lesson planning as well. And I, I found it was great. I tried to do it monthly once and it just, it changed so much. I just, I couldn't do it. And I, I found that I could keep more, I, I found I could keep myself more accountable by doing it weekly, you know, cause it, it was more fresh in my mind, I suppose. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, and yep. I know that there was a time where I had a child in my class and was like, why doesn't this child ever do any biology? I just can't believe this child doesn't do it. And then I looked at my record keeping and realized I hadn't given a biology lesson to that child in like, I don't know, month or something. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, a question was answered. Nice. That, you know, this child's teacher had not, um, you know, been paying attention to, you know, being sure to expose that child to as many seeds as possible. So I that's where I find the weekly is helpful because you really have to look at, and I, I tended to um, plan a lesson for every child in every subject area every week. And not, I knew full well, I wouldn't necessarily get to that, right? Like, that's a lot. But it helped me stay accountable because I could look back and say, oh, I have not given a biology lesson in four weeks. So that you know, that's really, I think, useful um, to have some sort of mechanism for making sure that you're covering all areas of cosmic education. Yes, yes. Um, and I think, too, the children, I'm just going to touch again on you're meeting with them every week. You're talking with them all the time. Um, and that also helps you, you know, stay accountable. Right. I mean, really listen to what they're yeah. saying. I mean, they I mean, they're going to babble on about, you know, who knows what cheetahs or yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter there. They will talk about something, you know, really keep yourself in tune to that as well. Um, yep. because if they're doing things they love, um, well, that's the goal, but that'll make them, I think a little bit, uh, less hesitant to do something maybe that they don't feel as confident in. Right. <laughs> if they're, yep. if they're really happy in other areas. Um, so I have a question. Um, how, so we're talking about planning, but how did you keep records of all of your plans? What, what kind of system did you use? And then I'll talk about what I used. Well, I taught, you know, a long time ago now. Uh-huh. So, um, <laughs> so now there are a lot of, um, you know, online programs and things that people can use. Those didn't exist when I was teaching, but I wanted to have some sort of way to track sort of all the presentations that were available and how often I gave them to a child, because we all know they're not necessarily going to only, you know, learn from one presentation. We might give it a few times. Um, oh yeah. Of so course. I had a sort of spreadsheet where I could track you know, all the presentations and had room for the, you know, sort of in other ones that I created for in each subject area across the top and along the side were the children. And I would record when they'd gotten a presentation. Um, it was harder to record sort of where they were in their internalization of that knowledge in that sort of a spreadsheet format. So that's how I did it from, you know, in the beginning. Then when I started to, then I started to use an Excel spreadsheet so mm -hmm. that I could sort the information more easily. So I had an Excel sheet that just said, 
you know, the date had columns for the date, the child's name, the lesson's name, the subject area, and any notes. And then I could sort that however I wanted to view it. Say I was going to give a lesson on, you know, um, parts of an angle. I could search parts of an angle and see who had had it, who hadn't had it, and, you know, make decisions based on that. So I found that to be really helpful to keep me accountable too, that I could look back and say, oh, okay, so they got that two years ago and we followed up, but maybe it's time for a review and a check-in to see, you know, whether we're ready to move on to more, more lessons or whatever. So, um, and I know there are lots of online, you know, programs now that allow for that uh, to be tracked more easily. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, that wasn't wasn't available back in my day. Oh in my goodness. Classroom. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I used Excel as well. Um, my first two years, I think. And I, um, it was okay. I, it was hard because I think I, one thing that I struggled with and I got better at it. Um, I took so many notes throughout the day, you know, of just uh, reactions or, how a lesson went. And I I remember like my lesson plan would just have notes all over it. Right. So then at the end of the day, and I did this every day because if I didn't, then I would forget. Right. Um, I would have to put that in to, you know, a document. And what I ended up doing was having just different documents of like what my observations were, what, you know, what I thought they needed work in, like what, who needed what lesson, who needed more, you know, I, and it, it actually created more work for me but it was the only way I could figure it out. Um, and then I used transparent classroom, which was okay. I found the same sort of issues that I had with the Excel sheet, you know, and, um, I just think it was hard for me to, um, transfer all my thoughts into one, you know, cohesive place. Um, but again, I had all those thoughts in my head, which was fine. Um, and the one thing with transparent classroom that, um, that was sort of something that I had just had to battle. Um, it, uh, it almost made me a little bit more curriculum thinking than I wanted to be, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's a constant sort of balance. I think even my spreadsheet with all the lessons across the top did right. the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We can't consider it just a checklist, but we do need to have comprehensive records of the child's experience so that we can use those to guide our lesson planning, but also so we have a record of what the child has done with us. Absolutely. Um, So we have to always remember that that structure and that organization and that record keeping is for us as adults, and Mm -hmm. it's not for the children. For the children, we're just going to expose them to cosmic education and offer these keys. So we're not going to say, have you done a language work today? Or why haven't you done biology in a while? We can think that ourselves, Mm -hmm. but the children should just be exposed to cosmic education and all the interconnectedness and, you know, amazingness of, of cosmic education and not the sense that it's a curriculum that we're parceling out to them. So we have to be really, it takes a lot of effort on our part as adults to be really conscious of that, very careful of that. And we have to constantly check ourselves. Uh, oh yeah. It's, it's so easy to just want to say that. And I have said that absolutely because mm-hmm. I, I was know. maybe feeling pressure from 
who knows what, you know, maybe just myself. It doesn't even matter. But it's so easy because, you know, it's especially with math. I have I've seen that you haven't done math in a while. Why aren't you doing math? You know, it just and that's where our, our mind goes, because so much of the rest of the world talks like that, too. Um, yeah. That is just so simple. But then, yeah. Go ahead. Well, and what we have to think about is that, like, so we observe a child hasn't been doing math or biology or any subject area. I wish people would panic about children not doing music. I but know. anyway, I know. <laughs> Don't even get me started. <laughs> but we we observe that. And then our job is to reflect on why, look at our planning and our records and then see what do I know about this child? And what's going, what can I do that's going to really entice this child into this field of knowledge that I know they're going to find interesting? Mm-hmm. I just haven't found the right sort of thing to connect them with. And that's how we have to approach our planning. Even, you know, and again, we keep all those different disciplines in our mind and we're being accountable to those. But for the child, the child's experience needs to be, wow, my teacher gave me this cool presentation today. Mm-hmm. And I Absolutely. had a great time and I love this work, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes a lot of discipline on our part as adults. Um, and a lot of sort of, you know, we have to be really objective about it and not, you know, not do a lot of self blame or frustration about what we have or haven't done, but just say, oh, okay, yes, this child has not had a lesson on biology in four weeks. And so I don't need to beat myself up as a terrible teacher, but just take that data and say, okay, what's going to spark this child's interest? How could I get them connected to this amazing field of knowledge? You know, or is there a subject area that they love? And can I connect this subject area to that one to ignite their, their interests? Um, so we have to, we're so hard on ourselves as teachers I know. We have to let go of that. I was just thinking, yeah, sorry. Just like there's so much energy wasted in shame and guilt when it comes to Mm -hmm. teaching. When that energy Mm -hmm. could be used to figure out what avenue to take to get a child interested in, you know, whatever. Or because I I mean, I used to I used to have some pretty dark days or moments where I felt terrible that I hadn't done what I wanted to do or, you know, we are our own worst critic. It's really true, um, especially in the classroom. But, you know, as hard as it is, it's really hard, Um, you know, channel that energy into, okay, what can I do better? You know, and then you'll feel better when you do that. (laughs) It's just sometimes hard to get there. Well, and, you know, I mean, we have to not get stuck in that place of shame and frustration right we have to daylight all of that because Mm -hmm. it can't live if it's exposed to daylight and other people right that's right right. yeah so we need to share you know share these questions or struggles with colleagues or administrators or or friends from training or all of those things so that we can get the support so that we can serve the children because ultimately it's not about us. It's about us being able to serve the children in the best possible way. So we have to let go of, you know, ourselves and really just focus on how can we plan and, and do better. And, you know, I Sunday nights were my night to do lesson planning. And I, you know, I didn't have planning time during my school week at all, mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
and which is fine. But I, so I, I carved out Sunday night. So I would get my kids to bed and I would take two to three hours and sit in, you know, comfy clothes with a glass of wine mm-hmm. and, and do my planning. And, you know, I, when I talk about this to teachers or do workshops, I, I have a picture of me that from like my seventh year of teaching and it's a lesson planning night. It's dark outside. I'm curled up in a chair. I've got like four albums open around me mm-hmm. and another like other resource book and my lesson planning binder and a glass of wine. And nice. I'm essential. And I'm, <laughs> I'm planning, right? Like that's what mm-hmm. I did and found worked for me to carve out that time. And mm-hmm. that's like what I encourage teachers to do is when are you going to be effective at doing that planning? It might not be Sunday night. It might be twice a week. I mean, you have to find the system that's going to work for you, but you have to find a system that's going to encourage you to consider each child and their needs that's going to hold you accountable to all of cosmic education so that you don't let go of the areas that are not being tested or something. Right, right. And and that allows you to feel like joy and excitement. I was just going to say I had a routine as well for my lesson planning and I found it so important because if I was feeling good and inspired in that space, then my lesson planning was way better. I didn't do mine Sunday night. I did mine Sunday, like mid morning. Um, and I would make coffee specifically for this. I would light candles, comfy clothes, all of those things. So important. But then like once you have your own space, you know, you're going to feel that energy. And it was, ex- it was kind of exciting. I don't know. Lesson planning is fun. I mean, yes, it's exhausting and it, you got to think about it. But it's like, ooh, what am I going to do this week? This is going to be so fun, you know? Right? Yeah. Right. And then and then you do all that work, and then you're ready to, like, throw it out the window when the children show yes. you something different. And that's okay, too. You, you know, you still – that work isn't wasted. It's no. just – you just get to go in a different direction. I mean, that's, like – that's what I still miss so much about elementary classrooms being, mm-hmm. you know, as the teacher, like how each day was different and exciting. And I learned something new and I explored different I areas of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I it's miss that too. An, it's an incredible, incredible place to be. And yes, it's a whole lot of work for the adult so much, but the gift you get as a result of it is these amazing humans exploring their interests and building themselves. uh, I know it's magical in a way that, yeah, it is. It's magic. Um, Can I share a quick story about throwing your lesson plan out the window? Um, (laughs) It was in my end of my first year of teaching. And I was, it was one of those days where like, I just had this perfect plan that I felt really good about. And then the morning's going great. I'm doing all my little lessons. And then one of our toddler guides comes in and she goes, oh, Rachel, did you see the fawn in the parking lot? I was like, what? She's like, yeah, fawn, like a baby deer. There's a baby deer in the parking lot. I was like, what? She's like, you guys should go out and see the fawn. And I thought, nope, I can't, I can't. And then I stopped myself and I said, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is this is ridiculous. I said, everyone, stop. We're going outside. We went outside. That morning turned into one of my favorite mornings ever of all time teaching because 
not only did we end up doing a spontaneous going out to the botanical gardens to get information, we talked to animal control, the children sang the deer songs. It was incredible. <laughs> I have videos of it. I mean, it was seriously one of the most incredible mornings of my entire life. And the kids never forgot it. I will never forget that. But I almost didn't go outside <laughs> because I was so excited about my lesson plan. But I'm, I, I'm thankful that I got over myself because I had to yep. go outside. Because when is that ever going to happen again? Probably never. Um, and it was right. just, it was amazing. Anyway, I just wanted to share. That was like, no, like, that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. We have to plan, plan, plan and stay accountable to our plans and then be willing to let them go when we see that the children need something different or when there is this amazing opportunity. I and know. that's ex exactly what, you know, that's exactly what we have to be doing. Mm -hmm. It isn't easy, but it's so no. worthwhile. This is not easy in any way. It's not easy. So Cut yourself some slack if you're feeling a little bit in the trenches, um, but stay inspired. Um, and also, I think another thing that's fun to do with lesson planning, keep in tune with current events and like holidays that are happening and things like that, things that are happening in the world. I found that was really interesting to the children, too. Um, yep. And important also. Yep. <laughs> so. And I would be really interested in hearing from people if they want to let us know things that have worked for them for planning or how they manage, you know, navigating this because it's almost like a three-dimensional system. It totally, you know, all it totally is. It totally is. Yes, so please. Much. If you need any advice further or if you just want to share how you have been lesson planning or record keeping and if it's going really great and you really like it, we'd love to hear. You can email us. Um, our email is allthingsmontessoripod at gmail.com. And we will respond to you, I promise. Um, yeah, and you can um, direct message us on Instagram as well. Um, any of those we would love to hear because I think the Montessori community is so wonderful. And if we can just grow that and cultivate it and keep it, you know, I, I think working together is the best the best option yep. you know <laughs> yep yeah there's no one way to do this work no so. no 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 <laughs> no no all right well happy lesson planning and happy record keeping <laughs> absolutely <laughs>